Father, we thank you for just this time to worship you. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that of this just this wonderful weather, this beautiful sunshine, Lord, just lifts our spirits as well. But Lord, most of all, we thank you, Jesus, that you rose again, that you died for our sins, but you rose again. And Father, as we come to your word, Lord, just keep us mindful of you. Lord, keep us um, just with our hearts settled in you and upon you this morning. And Father, just lead us, we ask, by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to let you into a little secret. My daughter, Rosanna, loves doing jigsaw puzzles, and I just don't get it. I just really don't understand it. See, what she finds relaxing and enjoyable, I find quite irritating and frustrating. But I think I've maybe found a way of enjoying doing jigsaws. So, when no one is looking, what you do, you just take one little piece, don't even be greedy, one piece, quite sufficient, you put it in your pocket, <laughs> and then you wait. You play what I like to call the long game. So for the next few days, you watch that puzzle is carefully being assembled together, and then you wait for that moment when reality finally dawns and, you, and that person discovers there's a hole right in the middle of their jigsaw where that one missing piece has been gone missing. And then even during the frantic searching around for that last piece, be patient, just wait. Then when no one is looking, you take your chance, you slip that piece into place. <laughs> now you would think you would think that someone who loves jigsaws so much would be overjoyed the fact that that piece has been found and that actually that, that, that the, the jigsaw is now complete. But after a great deal of research, I've discovered, no. <laughs> not that funny. Even after many times, still not that funny. And while I'm giving out some parental advice, it also turns out that eating your daughter's Easter egg is also not that funny. In fact, many number of years back, I spent 39 minutes on the naughty step for doing exactly that. <laughs> Who could have guessed? Now, I know what you're thinking. These may be excellent parenting tips of how to avoid emotionally damaging your ch children for years to come. But what has it got to do with Easter? And it's a good question. This Easter Sunday morning, I want to put some pieces of a puzzle together. See, to many people, the Old Testament is just simply puzzling. There are certainly things in the Bible that we find difficult to understand. And if you've been around on Sunday mornings for the last few weeks, last few months, you will know that we have reached the end of the book of Esther, but I want to suggest to you that the story of Esther is just part, is just one piece of a much bigger picture. I hope you've enjoyed this incredible story that's been full of intrigue, twisting and turning as it's gone. How a young poor Jewish girl ends up as Queen of Persia and how just the right time, at just the right moment, how she finds how she finds favor, how she finds opportunity, how she finds the courage to petition the king for the salvation of her people. But I hope you've also been able to put together the pieces of the puzzle and seen the hand of the sovereign God at work. A God who does not fail to protect his people. 
In the last two chapters of the book of Esther, D-Day has arrived for the Jews. The day that Haman is appointed for the slaughter of all of God's people. But Mordecai's decree has changed that, that day has gone from destruction to deliverance. The new decree meant that the Jews were able to defend themselves against any who might attack them. The tables had turned. Haman and his sons were dead. The Persian people were afraid even to harm some of God's people. Many even had turned around. Many were worshipping the one true God. God's people would be victorious because God has not forsaken his people. And the story of Esther proves to us something that we probably, at least most of us, already know in our own lives, that nothing happens without a battle. The end of the book of Esther, we read how God's people defend themselves, how they fight against the enemy, and we see how certain death is changed and replaced by life. We see how hopelessness is replaced by hope. And the story of Esther creates the possibility that death could be overcome. And even though the battle was brutal, victory was certain. And as we put some of these puzzle pieces together, a God who is sovereign, a God who loves and cares for his people, a God who fights on behalf of his people, that there is the possibility of life beyond death, we get a hint of something, but not the complete picture. So we begin to look around for other pieces. In Psalm 16, David picks up a similar theme when he contemplates life and death. This is his conclusion. This is Psalm 16, verse 9. My heart is glad and my soul and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you have not abandoned my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And David is not the first and he will not be the last person to debate this problem of life after death. Because if God made us as physical beings, how can we live on when our physical bodies are dead, yet our souls hunger for eternity? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's also hard to believe how God, who commits himself to us in covenant love and in care, and cares for us so much in this life, that he will just simply forget about us. The story of Esther certainly proves that. And surely the only conclusion that we can come to is that death is not the end. But what David calls Sheol, or the grave, is only part of the answer. It is this sketchy place where the dead live on in some way, but they are not forgotten. But it still leaves us wondering, what will become of them? And what David knows is that he will not be abandoned after death. But how will God care for him beyond death? Well, that he does not understand, he does not know. And then who is the Holy One of verse 10? Who is he talking about? 
It's not David. It certainly wasn't Esther or Mordecai. They weren't even born yet. And, 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 the, and it's not the faithful ones who were devoted to the Lord in his day. For their bodies are long since dust. They are now in the grave. So who is he talking about back in the Psalms? And if we were to take time this morning, which we're not, but if we were, we could go through many more Old Testament stories and many more scriptures, and each one of them would be another piece in the bigger picture of God's story. So how do we begin to join them all together? Peter, one of Jesus' followers, disciples, friends of Jesus, friend of Jesus, does the job for us when he speaks to the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 31, he solves the puzzles of Psalm 16. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible, yes, impossible, for death to keep its hold on him. And Peter spells out for us that the Holy One that David was talking about, of course, is Jesus. The Savior, the Rescuer that we, have, that we see when we start to put the puzzles of the Old Testament together. It's all talking about one person, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus himself confirms this fact that he had come to set captives free. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus did and he said some amazing, incredible things. But listen, there's one thing that Jesus never did. There's one sermon he never preached, and that was a funeral sermon. Instead, he broke up every funeral he ever attended because death could not exist where he was. So when the dead heard his voice, they sprang back to life. I've heard it said that when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, that he had to be specific. He had to call him by name because if he hadn't, the whole of the graveyard would have walked out towards him. See, Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. And he came as our triumphant warrior as our liberator, as our supreme deliverer, Jesus rescues sinners from the kingdom of Satan. But Satan is not going to willingly release his captives. And there's no way in which we can liberate ourselves. In fact, the first promise of Jesus as our victorious savior is seen right at the very beginning of the Bible. And God preached the first good news. He preached the gospel of Jesus to Eve in the, Garden of in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And God promised that Jesus would be born of a woman. He would grow to be a man who would battle with Satan, who would stamp upon his head, defeating him, even though the serpent would strike his heel, killing him. 
Jesus would liberate people from the captivity of Satan, of sin, of death, of hell through his substitutionary death. But how can death not be the end? Well, the events of Easter week that lead up to the cross appears to be Satan's greatest victory. Jesus' portrayal and crucifixion, it looked like the end. Satan and his demons must have thought they had finally defeated Jesus. However, crucifying Jesus was probably the biggest mistake Satan ever made. If he'd understood what would have happened, he would never have killed Jesus because what happened on that cross was a glorious mystery. At the cross, Jesus' willingness to die leads to a divine turnaround. Jesus paid the debt that you could never pay. Not just part of it, but every last bit. This is what Colossians 2 says, just helps to understand this. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut off. We are dead in our sins without Jesus. Then it goes on. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgives all your sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the authority of Satan and his demons has already ended. Satan is defeated, death is conquered, and you are forever secure in Jesus Christ. And it's very clear, Jesus has all authority now which means that Satan has got no authority over Christians. Colossians 1.13 goes on, for he, that is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into a kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Through faith in Jesus, you are set free. The proof of this is the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, you can face your future with absolute certainty. You can face it head on because you're not going to find Jesus nailed to some cross. Not anymore. You're not going to find him buried in a tomb. He's not there. That tomb is empty. Neither death nor the tomb could hold him. He has risen. Jesus is alive. And Jesus is the promised king who sits on the throne Forever and forever, he is Lord of all. And because he lives, joy replaces despair. Because he lives, hope removes fear. Because he lives, life conquers death. And we discover that the central piece of the puzzle, the piece that perhaps many people are looking for, the piece that lies in the very center of all of Scripture, it's all brought together by the risen Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Deliverer. He's the Good Shepherd. He is the Great High Priest. He is the I Am, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God. 
He is the light of the world, the mighty one, the redeemer, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word. He is the victorious one. That is our savior. And so woven through all of scripture is this message of a savior, which is most vividly displayed for us on Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus is the most powerful proof, the greatest reminder that there is hope beyond the grave. Jesus' resurrection explains life after death. Death is not the end. In fact, the resurrection is a pattern for our own resurrection. But you need to understand that the only that your only confidence in life beyond the grave lies in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. The Lord Jesus is your hope, your confidence for life beyond your physical death. In him you will find true joy, but you need to know him for yourself. See, it doesn't matter whether your friends know him. It doesn't matter whether your parents or your family know him or believe in him. You need to believe. The resurrection is the message of new beginnings and that starts when you, when, you when you realize and recognize that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. But it also involves a step of faith. Admitting that you need help, you need forgiveness. Listen, Jesus is the only way to make a fresh start with God right now. When you call out on him, when you call upon the name of Jesus, God by his spirit will work in you and work through you. He will transform your life. He will save you. And you can know the joy of the Lord this Easter time. Listen, that is our hope. That is the joy. Let's stand together. We pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can just gather to you and our Lord come near to you, Lord, this Easter Sunday morning. We thank you, Lord, that death is not the end. But Lord, with the resurrection, hope we look to a glorious future in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity this morning just to sing those declarations, to, to declare those words of praise to you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for the, just the, the power of your word, Lord God, to speak into our lives. And so, Father, I want to pray, Lord, each, over each one of us, Lord, that this Sunday would be a Sunday, Lord, when lives are transformed. Lord, for those maybe who've been walking with you for a while, we know you, Lord, for many years. Father, just, just, just do something deep within our hearts. Yes. Lord, just put a deep, Lord, just deep love, a deep joy back there again, Lord God, we pray. Lord, for anybody here this morning who does not know you, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just, just bring revelation into people's lives. Open up eyes to see the truth of who you are, that you are not a dead person, but you are the risen saviour of this world. And Lord, by faith we come. And in faith, Lord, we find you as we call upon your name. So Lord, we pray, Spirit of God, just move among us and just lead us closer to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.